How's everybody doing today? We're awake and alive. We're awake and alive. That's even better. That's fantastic. Well, I'm clearly not Aaron. Uh, my name's Jordan, and um, this is not my day job. And so, uh, appreciate your prayers. Uh, spent the last about 20 years teaching engineering, and this is not engineering. So, um, so with that, I guess if you'd go ahead and open up uh, whatever means you have of God's word to Matthew chapter 21. And we will get started. And as you're finding that place, I just want to just take a minute to pray, if you'll pray with me. Father, we just thank you that uh, we can come and hear your word. God, I profess that I'm um, an unworthy vessel to uh, bring this word today, God, and I just ask for your strength. Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak? Not let my words be heard, but yours only. God, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to cover uh, Matthew 21 up through um, verse 22, okay? So a good place to start is just to, to read our text this morning. So starting out in verse 1 of, of Matthew chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you will say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Of Galilee, uh, and we'll stop there and kind of get into what we're what we'll talk about. But first, I think it's always important to take a step back and realize where we're at, where we're coming from. Um, and so, you know, we've we've read through um, and studied Matthew for the last several months, and what we've seen in those lessons is that starting about chapter sixteen is that Jesus is set his face to come to Jerusalem. Why? Well, he, he's going to Jerusalem uh, to be crucified for us. Um, and this, chapter 21, verse 1 on through, starts the, the final week um, of, of Passion Week, or the week of that Jesus was crucified. And so I think that's important to understand where we are contextually uh, but then to get, kind of go back and um, see, is that thing on, Rachel? I'm sorry. Super. Um, so in chapter 16, what we saw was that, if you'll remember maybe three or four weeks ago, we heard Simon Peter says um, that you were the Christ, the Son of the living God. And immediately after that, Jesus pointed what was to come, and he said, and from that time 
1621, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so uh, we, see, we see that pretty, pretty clearly. Um, so I'll see what we got here. We also see in chapter 17, uh, verse 22, they were gal- gathering in Galilee, and Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And then they, so they, then they came to Capernaum. Um, and then in, in chapter 19, now when Jesus finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Um, and so we see that throughout these few chapters that, that God's plan doesn't change. Um, he kind of moves through still ministering, but comes to Jerusalem. Um, and I like maps. I don't know if y'all like maps, but I, I like to kind of contextualize things. And so we see originally in chapter 16, they're actually up here in uh, Caesarea Philippi. And then it says they moved into Galilee, came to Capernaum, and then we got to be careful because we're crossing through Samaria, so maybe kind of down through here. Remember, that was not a fun place to go through. And then we entered into Jericho all along, coming to Jerusalem. So I don't know. I like to kind of see how that flows with with Scripture there, Um, knowing that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for a purpose, and a a very specific purpose for us, right, for his glory. And so the other thing we need to understand is that um, this chapter, chapter 21, as we read through the, the, the rest of it, is really a lot of references to Old Testament, right? Um, and in that, we see that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of, of prophecy. Um, I always liked when Brother I would say, you know, if you, was, if you were to make a man out of, out of the Bible, it would be Jesus. And, uh, and we see that. He is the perfect fulfillment of all the prophecies that we have there. Um, and just the thing about prophecy, I think, as you look at some of these texts that we'll, we'll hit on in just a second, looking back, the prophetic text, what you see is, is that prophecies in the Old Testament many times, and I get this from the scholar Aaron Wine, who, uh, as we were discussing, said that uh, prophecies are kind of like looking at a mountain range from afar off. And you may see what looks like a mountain, and as you get closer and kind of understand, you see that there are there's a third dimension to that. that. That some of these prophecies both have fulfillment in the text in chapter 21, but then also have fulfillment or point to the end of days when Jesus comes back um, then. And so um, kind of looking to that, kind of supporting that, we see, I believe in, uh, yep, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not a good points person, so I don't know how to like say, oh, if you're taking notes, follow this. Because um, in my classes, you better be writing for the full 50 minutes or you're just behind. But yeah, that's, that's for engineering only. So again, Jesus, perfect fulfillment. He's the king. We'll see this kingly role and we'll see that he is the perfect fulfillment. And so regarding um, prophecy, I think a couple of texts that are good to kind of 
wrap our minds around uh, prophetic things are in First Peter, and we'll look at First Peter. If you want to turn there, First Peter ten to uh, ten through twelve. Okay, First um, Peter, what chapter? Awesome. I think it's on here, but I didn't write it on my yeah chap- chapter one. So it says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and carefully and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. We're about to see, we're about to go in in the next couple chapters, those sufferings and what was pointed to. Okay? Uh, and it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So all these prophecies, while they could see that front of that mountain range, maybe not the full the full range, um, they were doing that not for themselves, but for those in this time and for us today. And I think that's important to realize that God's had a plan for, for you and for me from eternity past. And many times we may not see that. You know, if we, if we turn this rug upside down, it's not going to look like what you see on the top. And if you just come over to a little, little corner and you look at the bottom of the rug, you're going to see kind of a mess, and it's just a small mess. But that's how we view what's happening to us. And the Lord knows, because he is, he is the weaver, he knows the full design and what it means. And so I think it's uh, important for us to understand that in our daily walks too. You know, we, we don't know why certain things may happen at certain times. Sometimes we do. Um, but again, um, these writings were for us. And so... Um, another verse is in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which we probably know for other reasons, but it's kind of cool to take a look. And so kind of picking up on hmm, maybe verse 12. So for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in, in part, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so, um, well, again, another illustration of, of prophecies and what we understand to be true today and, and what uh, has been foretold and how it ends up. Okay? But again, takeaway, Jesus fulfills prophecy. Do y'all move? Do y'all like go this way or this, this or anything? Nobody? Okay. Oh, you're the best. I appreciate that. So I have 700 and, I don't know, 62 students this semester. And uh, routinely, I look out in blank faces who just stare. Appreciate the smile, Mr. Caps. You're, you're a good guy. So if y'all want to interject, say amen or anything, that's great. So <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. All right. In that line of prophecy, we start off in, in, in verse 1. It says, they drew near to Jerusalem uh, and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, and that sort of thing. And so we also see um, in Zechariah 14, 4, that, yeah, yes, uh, 14, chapter 14 of Zechariah actually points to the end of days, but it also be referring to here, it says, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem to the east. Um, and so they came into uh, to Bethpage, probably pronouncing that wrong. Ah, yeah, maps, man, I love maps. So... I don't know where these things are. I had to look them up. So it's helpful. So 
This, this is going to mention Jerusalem, clearly. We're going to be in the temple in this chapter. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus um, leaves and spends the night in Bethany. Uh, and then Bethpage is here, kind of on the Mount of Olives. So you kind of get a um, sense of how large this was. Uh, we learned last week that uh, the temple, um, even the, the, the court of the Gentiles, like 35 acres, which is kind of huge if you think about it. I don't know if y'all have a sense of acreage, but 35 acres is pretty massive. Um, and so that's where, that's where we are in the text, if that helps you at all. But then we see in the text, in the, Jesus sent the two disciples, and they go into this village, and he instructs them to find this donkey, and it's a female donkey, and the donkey's offspring. Um, okay, that that's, seems kind of weird. Um, untie them, bring them here, and that was, again, to, uh, to fulfill Scripture, prophecy that we'll get to in a minute. Um, but here it can be kind of good, I think, to look at some parallel texts. You know, like Pastor Brian talked about last week, um, the, the Gospels don't contradict themselves, but they form a nice composite for us. And so our parallel texts are um, this text, Matthew 21, Mark 11, uh, Luke 19, and John 12. I believe I've got Mark passage here. Yep, fantastic. Um, and so the Mark passage, largely the same. But um, in Mark, it shows that somebody actually did call them on it. Why are you untying this donkey? Which seems kind of reasonable. If somebody came and got, you know, in today's world, if somebody came and got your truck, you say, hey, why are you getting my truck? The Lord needs it. Here's the keys. All right, cool. Um, but we, could, we really couldn't do that. One of the things that we need to understand about this is that it's a small piece, but the fact that, that this happened shows that Jesus is king and has authority over, you name it, donkeys, mules, us. He created it, so he has authority over it. And I think we need to, need to understand that. And sometimes for us, it can be hard to be under authority, right? Uh, is that true for anybody? Anybody like, I mean... I'm going to look over here. Cause, yeah, okay. Well, appreciate it, y'all. Um, I got spanked when I was little. And by little, I mean through age 18, probably. The, the, uh, the, the branches, yes, amen, yes. The, the branches on the trees just got bigger as I got bigger. Um, and I resisted that. And so many times we resist God's authority in our life. Okay. And looking back now at, at age 41, I see that in my life, my dad, when he would discipline me, my earthly father, when he disciplined me, it was because he knew what was best and he was looking forward to what I would run into later in life. And I think it's really helped my perception of the Lord's discipline, right? When he disciplines us, it's, discipline's never fun. I've never thought to myself, this is so fun. I should take another paddling. This is fantastic. Right? At no time ever. <laughs> but what I see is, what we see in Scripture is, you need to be way more worried if you're not being disciplined 
than if you are being disciplined. Because Scripture clearly tells us that he disciplines those whom he loves. Okay? Um, and so, a little side sidetrack there. Um, but again, um, as we look at these parallel texts, what we see is uh, you know, every, every, each writer has a little different angle on it. Uh, Matthew is the only one who actually includes that the, the, the Colts' other was there. Um, if you call it that, I'm not a vet, so I don't know. Um, and then the others kind of share that, that it was very young and that Jesus was the only person to have ever sat on that donkey. So it's a good, good composite, but again, a, a takeaway from our section here is that Jesus does have authority over all things. And so we pick up back in verse 4, and says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Um, and the disciples went and did as he had directed them, and they, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So that's uh, the say to the daughter of Zion is actually a direct quote from Zechariah 9.9. 9. I hope that's the next thing. Fantastic. And so... It's largely the same text, but I always like when, whenever I see a, a passage in, in the New Testament that's, a, you know, it's got a little, little quotes or it's inset, I always like to actually go back and read it, um, and, and especially in context, and I think um, this, is, this is good things to do. Um, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So shouting, they, and the crowd was shouting, right? Uh, you're king. We see that... that, that this is your king. Jesus is king. He's coming to you. Righteous and having, having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, colt the foal of a donkey. So, um, again, kind of looking back um, at our original text, you might think that the, the cloaks in there, so was, we have the donkey, and, but they put cloaks on him. Is that a throwaway passage? There's not throwaway passages in Scripture, right? So why, what, why do we mention cloaks? Well, let's go back to 2 Kings. And, and I'm just giving you a, a piece of it here. But in 2 Kings chapter 9, what we see that is the prophet Elisha had sent a servant to anoint a new king. There's lots of bad things going on, and Elisha had sent a servant to appoint a new king over Israel. And... Later, that king would remove some of the evil folks that were in the kingdom there. And so this servant comes to um, Jehu here in 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, the second part of verse 12, and said, uh, Thus, and so he spoke to me, saying, and this is Jehu talking, and the quote there is the servant, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel, then in haste every man of them took his garment cloak, and put it under him on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Well, Jehu here is just a shadow or a type of Jesus on what we see in Matthew 21. The folks are taking off their cloak for the king. We don't want the king to even touch the ground. 
I'd rather him, t- you know, I'd rather ruin my cloak and him step all over that than, than step on the, the ground here. And so I think it's important to understand that, that you know, it, this was both an honor uh, for the king and proclaiming that he was rightly so uh, the king in this place. We pick up uh, in uh, chapter, let's see, verse 9. It said, And the crowds went before him, and that followed after him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of, of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, Hosanna is the... It's like a transliteration. Y'all know what a transliteration is? Dr. Geiger? Uh, oh, you're... So, um, transliteration would be like um, us saying in English what this, uh, this other term in another language is, roughly. That's, that's the, the engineering version of that, I guess. So... But basically, it's the vernacular to say, um, save now. Hosanna, meaning save now. I'm breathing into the microphone. Where does that come from? Fantastic. How about Psalms 118? I hope that's Psalms 118. Yeah, come on with it. It's almost like it was planned. Save us, we pray. What does that mean? If we transliterated save us, what would these people have been saying? Oh, man. We've got crowd participation. It's going to be a good day. Save us. We pray, O oh Lord. Hundreds of years before Jesus was in Jerusalem. Save us. We pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And where are they? In Jerusalem. Or close by to the temple. One thing we see is that anytime we encounter Jesus, things are just not the same. They're just not. And I think if, if we're truthful in ourselves, it goes one of two ways. Either we are just changed with our hearts toward him, or we kind of harden our hearts a little bit. And we've got to be really careful about that. Um, but we see even in, in the, in a, in spiritually, but also in terms of, it says, um, that Jerusalem was stirred up and the, uh, the folks, the smart people that I was reading in preparation for this said that stirred up was kind of the mild version of, uh, something was really going on there, um, for him. So again, we look at, um, at this passage, picking up in verse 10, we see that, you know, when Jesus comes, whether it be uh, when we encounter him, we just can't be the same at all. Um, you, can't, you can't just stay where you are, okay? And I think that's a, that's a good thing to, to keep in mind. Um, it's also important to note here that even those in that time didn't fully understand. They said, oh, he's a prophet. Well, that's really underselling Jesus. Jesus is the, the, 
a king of kings, Lord of lords. He is not a, just a prophet. Um, the prophets heard from him. Uh, slight difference there, a few orders of magnitude. Um, and I think this brings out a, a point of application for us. These folks were saying, who is this? And I think the most important question that we might could ask ourselves today is, who is Jesus? Your answer to that question um, is everything. And let me encourage you, um, search out the scriptures. Talk to one of the leaders around here. If you don't have a good answer for who is Jesus, don't wait till next week. Don't wait till next month. Let's find out today. Okay? These folks were wrong. They were close. And I think in our, in our lives, we're close a lot. But close only counts in what? Horseshoes and hand grenades. I hope nobody's played with hand grenades. So, seeing if anybody's paying attention still. All right. So, check time. Got to speed it up. Way up. So, um, next passage of scripture here is the cleansing of the temple. And I was super pumped when Pastor Brian covered the first cleansing. Remember from last week, Pastor Brian talked about there's two. Uh, and this was the second one that's accounted, that's uh, detailed in three of the Gospels. Uh, the first one we heard about in uh, our study of John last week. And because we've heard that a bit, I may just... Uh, Condensed just a bit here. Um, but again, Jehu was a type here. He cleared out Israel, uh, and Jesus came through and cleared out the temple, but, but different. And, and Jesus looks at the heart of the matter. So let's just read through real quickly. Uh, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold pigeons and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Would you make it a den of robbers? Uh, the issue here was that they had a, a ritualistic system that had nothing to do with their heart's condition toward God Almighty, right? They showed up at a place at a time. They did some things. They put some money in a place. Then they went home, and they were no different. Is that us? I hope it's not. But I know I'm guilty of... Some Sundays I, I get up and I'm just, I'm not feeling it. I come here anyways. I move my mouth on the songs and that's it. I go home, I eat fried chicken, take a nap, right? Is Jesus honored with that? No, it's not honored any more than what we see here. Um, what was being happened, what was happening um, in the temple. Um, basically, you know, they're not only not giving the Lord his due in worship, but um, you're doing things like charging too much money for things, uh, extortion of um, the, the people who graded the animals, all kinds of things like that. I do want to uh, get to the passages where it says, your house should be called a house of prayer and kind of camp out um, just a second there. Um, and that comes from Zechariah. Let me make sure where I'm at here. I'm in Malachi, which is fine, because we see this. Um, um, 
this day being foretold in Malachi. Behold, I send my, pass- my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to the temple. Well, we just read the Lord suddenly comes to his temple, right? And what, what then? The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, and says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. I didn't know you had sons. I'm joking. Awesome. Woo! But we're talking about the Levites, the priests, who are the people in the temple. Clearly, this is, uh, again, kind of pointing to this particular, the first and the second cleansing, as well as in today's. Moving on, uh, these two quotes are from um, Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. So Isaiah 56 is a good one. In the passage in, in um, Isaiah 56, um, what we see here is that God is foretelling that us, the foreigners, and, and previously in Deuteronomy, you know, foreigners and eunuchs could not come into the temple. That was against um, God's rules at that time. But Isaiah, here in chapter 56, tells us uh, there's coming a time when that's not true. He's foretelling of our salvation. It's not just for the nation of Israel. Um, so, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servant. So not just the people who show up and mouth songs and go home. But those, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, make them joyful, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And I think when I read that, it, it, it kind of lights something up in, in me personally, because I know it's not just the nation of Israel. This is, this is Jordan Roberts in 2022 knows that all peoples, that he's, he's allowed, made a way for me to come through there. Um, and in this passage also, we see what God wants from us today. That's uh, what he wanted from his people, Israel, to, to serve him, to keep his word, to pray. Um, and so that clearly wasn't happening. Uh, if we look at Jeremiah 7, um, kind of skimming down through here. See, I've got to read here. Make sure I'm on Jeremiah 7. One's smaller than the other one. Word came to the Lord, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there his word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts and God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Skipping down to verse 9. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal? Um, I think here when we say we're not, nobody here is probably making offerings to Baal, but we probably worship something besides God on a daily basis. How much, what do we spend our time on, our money on? And go after the gods that have, you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. I want to go on doing all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers, in your eyes. 
Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And I think that's a rhetorical question. Yes, it has become that. And God forbid that it should ever become that for us. Um, and so, and getting closing in here, hopefully towards the end. Um, the blind and lame came to him in uh, verse 14. And he healed them, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany that we saw earlier and lodged there. Um, I had to look up what indignant meant because my vocabulary does not include that. Maybe yours doesn't either. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines it as feeling or showing anger because of something unjust or unworthy. Jesus is never unjust or unworthy. These folks thought they were right in their own eyes, but they weren't using God's standards. We need to make sure that we're using the Lord's standards and not our own um, and these in life. Uh, the quote here is from Psalm, uh, Psalms 8.2, and he is worthy of our praise. Uh, we see many times, you know, if we, don't, if, he, if we don't give him his praise, he will get it from somewhere. I hope that, that we're, we're praising him. Um, and so moving to, um, kind of go to our final passage here. Um, verse 18, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree uh, withered at once. Now, if we just kind of read this um, in a cursory way, uh, we might think that, oh, wow, oh, it's, maybe it's just pointing to, you know, Jesus is uh, uh, a man, and so he's going to be hungry, and he gets mad too. Eh, wrong. Okay, let's dig a little bit deeper. What we see, if we, if we again, best commentary on the Bible is the? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return this here in a couple weeks, okay? Hosea 9, survey says, Hosea 9, verse 11. In the Old Testament, oftentimes the fig was used by God uh, to symbolize the nation of Israel. And I'll be honest with you, I had no clue about that until I got to studying this. Not a clue. But we see in Hosea chapter 9, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. And moving on in Joel chapter 1. Six and seven, for a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. It has teeth, uh, its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. And so this is not just Jesus being hangry and uh, cursing a tree because it doesn't, doesn't have fruit. Um, here, this is kind of a living parable. The fig tree being fruitless is a picture of Israel's fruitlessness at the time. And so if we, we kind of look at that in application, are we 
fruitless also. What do we need to repent of? Um, another good passage here. I hope we have time. Jeremiah 8. And there, I, you know, I encourage you to go back and just read the whole chapter of Jeremiah 8. You, you won't do anything better with your time than read Scripture anyways. And so, yep, that's my guy. So 13, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine or figs on the tree. Hello, there's no, no figs on the tree. All right. Even the leaves are withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. And so, again, not a real thing about, this is not a, a, a picture of Jesus being, you know, a, a human. And, no, no, no. There's a reason it comes right after the cleansing of the temple. It's basically kind of two ways to say the same thing. And that what God wants is our heart right. When your heart's right, the fruit will follow from that. Um, so I think I'm going to kind of go through the last couple of pretty quick. Uh, verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, out of the fig tree, wither at once. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was, has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Um, <clears throat> this is not name it and claim it in any way, shape, or form. Okay? The first thing we need to see is that our faith comes from the Lord. Um, and the Lord is, is empowering us. He gives us what we, what we desire because our desires are the Lord's. Bit of a circular argument there. Um, kind of distilling it for time. But I don't want you to come away from, from this passage thinking that you can you know, walk up to something one day and speak to it and whatever you dream up will happen. It's clearly not it, and I don't think y'all are even thinking that. Um, but I think one of the keys here, I think the key here is uh, that God's faithfulness for us is not bound by our work, okay? If God calls you to do something and you're abiding in his will, you understand that you know, this is God's will for my life. He will empower that thing to happen. It may not seem uh, easy, may not seem possible, but with God, all things are possible. And so as we come to the, the close of our passage in, in verse 22, um, I think we'll just go ahead and turn it back over to you, to you all to talk about. I appreciate your graciousness, and I'm sure there's probably something that I messed up here, but um, wow, that's weird. God is good. Amen.